to my celestial design. My name is Annie Perry and I am your host. I'm a professional psychic, a seer, an interdimensional soul on a mission. A mission to help you remember where you came from, why you chose Earth, and how to access your divine light within. On this podcast, we explore stories of spiritual awakenings, psychic channeling, cosmic consciousness, and so much more. Let's go. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to another episode with your host, Annie Perry, psychic, seer, friendly neighborhood psychic, etc., etc., I took a week off of recording podcasts because I was reading an 800-page book. I read it in about three and a half days and had such a book hangover that I needed a few more days just to recover from that. And it kind of felt almost like a self-care week because I basically just read my book and did the bare minimum of everything else. And... Yesterday, I was kind of tapping into the energy. I was like laying in bed and just feeling like I didn't need to do anything. And my ears have been ringing. My ears ring a lot when there is a ton of quantum chatter is kind of my word for it. Quantum chatter, which just means the quantum field, that invisible field that covers every dimension, every density, every uh, everything really in our universe, um, that invisible connection to everything where I download all of my information from, the quantum chatter is just a lot going on in it, a lot of energy, a lot of movement, a lot of spirit guides trying to get in touch with their person or galactic families trying to get in touch with their people. So just very busy. It's kind of like being in a big crowded mall or open space and like you hear all of that chatter. So when the quantum field is really, really busy, I hear all of that in my ears and it kind of makes my ears feel like they're going to explode. And I do have, you know, I ask my spirit guides to kind of put little earmuffs on me so that I can concentrate on my life. But they shared some information with me that I'm going to share with you. And I was talking about this on my Instagram account as well. And that is that this energy, this kind of removal of the veil and this like very free-flowing energy that we have going on right now is because of the 2-22-2022 portal that's coming up. So numbers, while those years and those dates don't necessarily mean anything to the universe, right? Because time is a construct in order for us to have experiences. But when we put meaning into things and we use numbers, which are sacred, and I believe that they all carry energy and representation of deeper truths and meanings within the universe. So that 222, so February 22nd, 2022 portal Really, all of those numbers are creating an energetic portal during this time, and we manifest everything in our reality, so I have no doubt that many, many of us on this planet are manifesting this portal. Um, But that portal, really, the number two is the entry of the divine feminine. So number one, 
is a masculine number. It's singular. It is autonomy. It is the ability to uh, care for oneself, to provide for oneself. Um, But when you have that number two enter into the quantum field, the energy playing field, that's the entry of the divine feminine. That is a joining together with that divine masculine. And so you have that full yin-yang experience and it is bringing in the energy of the fourth density. If you've listened to my podcast episode number three, titled The Seven Densities of Consciousness, you'll know what that third density and that fourth density are. So we are leaving the energy of our planet is transitioning out of third density. Third density technically ended in 2012, And we are officially, but in the very early stages of the fourth density. And this planet will continue through all the way into the seventh density of consciousness, um, regardless if we exist on this planet or not. And because our planet is transitioning amongst a lot of friction with the inhabitants of the planet, aka the inhabitants of the planet, humans are very uh, masculine driven. They are very attracted to masculine energy and influenced by that energy. And the fourth density is a feminine energy. And so there's going to be some friction as we transition and um, what that energy really supports if you want to live in alignment and you want your manifestations, your life, your purpose to have a deeper meaning, uh, really stepping into that energy and embracing it and saying, how can I flow with this energy instead of fighting against the current? And really how you do that is you embrace the characteristics of feminine energy, of divine feminine energy. And all that means is the high vibration of feminine energy. There's a low vibration and a high vibration. Uh, That episode, Yin Yang Energetics, goes into so much depth on both masculine and feminine energy. But I will just say that some of the things I really picked up on the energy that this portal is opening for us is things like ease, flow, no more of this like hustle and grinding and working, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours. Those now become exhausting to our bodies, to our minds, to our souls. We're now seeking more rest. So resting more and that can be sleeping more. That can be just relaxing more. Um, this huge desire to spend more time out in nature Let's not forget that this planet is a divine feminine planet. Gaia is the consciousness of this planet and is in fact divine feminine, not divine masculine. So that's another reason why there's a lot of friction on this planet. But yeah, ease, flow, uh, connection, and things like admiration, appreciation, love, um, passion, uh, joy and pleasure. And I think one of the one of the places you can see this play out the most is actually on social media. So something that really kind of um, rubbed me the wrong way was this rise of performance, right? So now if you want to be on TikTok or you want to be on Instagram, you have to perform for people. You have to make little videos that are entertaining for them. And that's really the only way to get attention for yourself. And that can quickly become a very low vibration of feminine energy, right? That needing attention, that needing that validation, But what I see is I see more and more people drawn 
to wanting to do things that are not, um, they're not stuffy, they're not super organized, they're just kind of messy and all over the place, very creative when they're making these videos. And I appreciate a lot of the art artists and the artistic endeavors that they're on as they create these, you know, I mean, some of them are just kind of bullshit, but some of them are actually a lot of artistry goes into them. And it can be as simple as, you know, a few pictures of a sunset, but you really, you really start to see this shift from, you know, the accomplishment of maybe working on all of these um, photos. I used to do landscape photography. So like working on all of these photos, editing them just perfect, posting them at the right time, adding the right amount of hashtags, etc. was really how you grew your audience. And all of that is very masculine. And now it's gone into the like wild feminine of like, we post whenever we want. We're not interested in the stuffy aesthetic things. We're really interested in like laughing and joy and play and making these dance videos because we feel good doing them. And so you can kind of see the energetic shift that's happening play out right before your eyes. Now, what I shared on my social media last night was some of the things that I'm doing for myself to step into this energy, especially as we go into this February 22nd portal. I think that this whole year for me personally is going to be all about embodying the divine feminine. My guides have been telling me this since summer of 2020 and I haven't listened until probably about a month ago when I was so burnt out in my job working like 10 hour days and I was like this feels so wrong and out of alignment. Like get me out of here. I will do anything. I will do a sacral chakra dance (laughs) until my feet hurt. You know, I'll literally do anything to get out of this masculine energy that just feels so backwards now. And it's it's unusual. We're not used to it. So some of the things that I am doing is I am practicing a form of mindfulness that I have kind of labeled like moment contentment. <laughs> I need to work on the name a little bit, but it's really about whenever I find myself Um, desiring the future in a very like grasping and craving way. So not just dreaming or planning or having manifestations like we all should. But whenever I start to grasp at the future or be like, oh my God, what's next? Or what's going to happen? Or what's going to happen this week or this month or this year? And I start to get that anxiety. I come back and I just have that mindful moment of I am content in this present moment. I have everything that I need in this present moment. How can I find more joy right here? How can I find more pleasure right here? What would make me feel good right now? And we often kind of shy away from that. Oh, if you want to feel good all the time, then you obviously don't have to work or pay bills or have relationships or have to walk your dog or any of those things. And that's simply not true. I do all of those things, but I take that energy of how can I feel good right now? What brings me the most joy right now? And I take that energy and I infuse it into all of the things that I do have to do every day. And I have to tell you, it has made me feel so much better, so much less anxiety, less trying to control anything. Because when I'm in my moment to moment, 
I'm like, oh, wait, I have a roof over my head. Why am I worrying about where I'm going to live in like six months or a year or 10 years? You know, I'm worrying about that future instead of planning and manifesting it in a high vibration of surrender and complete trust in the universe. I come back to that present moment. I'm like, I have a roof over my head. I have this big comfy bed. I have all the equipment I need for my business. I have amazing clients. I have amazing friends. I have this whole community online that supports me. Why am I worrying about all of the other things that don't exist inside this present moment? Or rather, worrying about any of those things being removed from my present moment. Instead, when I appreciate them, I have found this week that they have actually expanded and grown because I'm focusing on what I love in my life and it just grows and expands. I mean, it's it's been a really great experience and I hope that that is helpful for someone out there. Some of the other things that I've been doing just really quickly are um, I've been trying to do more dance and more hip opening exercises, whether that's with regular yoga or kundalini yoga or just in dance, opening up those hips, really opening that sacral up so that when I am doing my meditation afterwards, my sacral, that divine feminine chakra is really supporting the energy of my heart chakra, which is also divine feminine chakra. And I open that up during meditation in the morning and in the evening. And I really flood my aura with that love energy and that creative energy. And I found myself just drawn to the color orange, which is the color of the sacral chakra. And I think it's going to be a really, you know, hopefully a very beautiful spring, hopefully a very beautiful summer, hopefully a lot of revelations and intuitive guidance for so many souls out there as we go through this portal. And the last thing that I'll say on it is if you're being tested right now, if you're being rock bottomed energetically, if you are having a really tough time, I guarantee you that wherever you're being tested or rock bottomed is somewhere where you still have a little bit of your own toxic masculine energy. And the vibration of the planet is rising. And so that is just going to really chafe. It really, really is. You've got to get in there and you've got to transmute that into a high vibration. Now, that's not to say that all of our masculine energy transmutes into feminine energy. We don't want that. We want to be balanced and we want to be in the divine of it, which is just the high vibration of that energy. So really transmute that toxic or low vibrational masculine energy into the high vibration of masculine energy. Okay. I thought we'd do something really fun today, which is a podcast that I'd been kind of planning in the back of my mind for a while, and I didn't know how long it was going to take. It's it's probably going to take a lot because it's I'm covering a lot of ground, but maybe we can do a follow-up episode if we need to. This is all about galactic families. I love this topic now. I didn't used to, but I love it now. And it's something that I share with all of my clients during our session. When we talk about soul history, where are you from? 
why did your soul end up here on earth? Is this the only planet that you've been on? And um, I've actually only ever read for one soul that was designed for earth. That was it. I have uh, almost exclusively always read for souls who have been in so many other places. Uh, Some of them have the most amazing soul history, the most galactic experiences, and when you meet them, they definitely feel like that fish out of water. They're like, you know, I've always been the odd man out here, and I've always felt like I'm not from here, like I'm supposed to go somewhere to get back home. And so I wanted to kind of do an overview of galactic families and some of the main ones that I have experienced in my own readings with clients. Now, I want to preface this by saying that this is not uh, the full meal deal, right? Because if you have a whole planet, you know, just think about our little blue planet and we have, you know, I think there's like 192 or 97 countries. There's so many different races. There's so many different cultures and experiences that you can have on this one planet. So when I say, you know, someone's from Orion, I'm talking about an entire constellation, really an entire section of our universe. So many different planets there that had Uh, viable life forms on them that went through their own third density, which means it was a planet very similar to yours and mine. And so really when I say that and I kind of make these general, um, these generalities about these different galactic families, um, they're very, very high level general. So it could be so much more specific than that once you start to dig into your own galactic family and your own history. And that's something that you can do either through your own psychic gifts um, with a reader like myself Often Akashic Records readers will go into a lot of these, you know, past lives, past planets, where you came from. Uh, The Akashic Records are something that I tap into on a very high level. I don't consider myself an Akashic Record reader, but I'm downloading the same information about people, about souls. So the first galactic family that I want to start with was the very first one that I ever joined when I came to this universe, and that is the Orions. The Orions are a series of different planets. I don't know exactly how many were inhabited. I want to say it was between six, seven, or eight that were inhabited in the constellation, what you and I consider the constellation of Orion. Um, So it's not just, you know, Orion's belt or anything like that. It's that whole grouping there. And some of them appear as stars now. And um, really there, there was about, yeah, six, seven, eight. Um, I know that I recently read for someone who is from Orion six. That was how their spirit guide described or named the planet that they were from. And I've read for a lot of them and I've experienced Orion. It's very, very distant and kind of vague in my memories. Um, But I've regressed some of the experiences there and I have run into so many souls that I crossed paths with there and had the pleasure of reading for them. So kind of what those planets were like 
is um, we know we have the Mintankins. The Mintankins are from Orion as well. That was a water world. So definitely, I would say the most unique of the Orions. And it was a water world and there was uh, kind of like humanoid fishes there that you and I would think of as mermaids. That whole concept came from Mintanka. And many, many star seeds and souls have fully regressed experiences of being a Mintankan mermaid. And, um, yeah, there's, you know, a whole water world there. I really have never read for a Mintankin before, uh, but that's the most unique, I would say, in the Orion constellation. Some of the other planets were very, very similar to North America. They were very filled with forests. They were a very cool climate. I specifically remember it always being somewhat cool slash cold there um and they're always kind of being overcast and gray a lot of cloud coverage and there was kind of this like sapia tone coloring to the entire environment it's almost as if the colors were not as vibrant as they are here on earth and um, i also remember that all of the cities um, it was very, they never really progressed to be extremely modern, at least when I was there. And for the those that I have read for, they never progressed to be very modern the way that we are here on Earth. Um, I would say that they almost blended like technology, like advanced technology with like the Middle Ages. Like, so the cities always looked like the Middle Ages and then there would just be like ships that could fly <laughs> in a totally different way that our than our airplanes fly. And I remember the the cities all being very circular, having a lot of walls built up on them, looking very much like Mont Saint Michel, Mont Saint Michael. I don't know, I'm saying that wrong. That's in France. Every time I see a picture of that city, I'm like, wow, that looks just like Orion, except Orion was at least that planet in that area where I was um, or where I've seen before in my regressions was had tons of forest all around it. Uh, big forests. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just a beautiful place. Um, however, the Orions, most of the planets polarize to the dark side, unfortunately. And um, I don't know all of the full details of that, but that happened... Um, that happened as they were transitioning from the third to the fourth density. Their planets, the energy there... Um, decided to transition to the dark side, to not open the heart chakra. And there was a lot of control, a lot of killing, a lot of slavery, a lot of um, just horrible things happening there. And many, many souls still are here on Earth as refugees and are very traumatized by that entire experience. And um, they just infused such a deep vibration of fear into the souls there that did not want to polarize towards the dark side. And so those souls eventually died and were relocated to new planets. Because if you are not going to polarize in that direction and that planet is going in that direction, you can't go back to it. You get relocated to a new planet. And um, so while it was, you know, beautiful to look at all of the forests, it's not a place I would ever want to go back to. Um, my soul specifically came to this universe or this galaxy 
uh, to fight in those wars. And there was a lot of wars that went on, a lot of energetic wars, a lot of physical wars. I mean, it was just, for lack of a better word, kind of a shit show. Um, But they did polarize to the dark side, and they are the main antagonists in our galaxy. They are the main dark energy. They are the main bad guys. (laughs) You know, I don't like that term, but they are. They're the main bad guys. They are the ones who come here um, to our little blue planet and terrorize souls that cannot see them, that don't understand them, that think that they're demons or whatever, and they love infusing that fear energy because it helps them polarize deeper into the fourth, I think they're in the fifth density now of consciousness. Um, It helps them polarize. It actually helps them grow deeper in their level of consciousness towards the dark side. So it's kind of a mind twist really, but if you if you listen to the episode, The Seven Densities of Consciousness, all of that will make a little more sense for you. Now, some of the characteristics, if you're wondering, am I from Orion? Um, Many, many, I would say probably the most common galactic soul on our planet Earth right now, um, most of them are from Orion. So if you feel like I'm not from here, I don't know where I'm from, chances are you've had a lifetime or many in Orion and you were relocated here and you're kind of a refugee or you have grown in consciousness and you're here to help this planet uh, to not take that same path, you know? And so I would say that um, Orions tend to be uh, more masculine energies. They tend to be more um, leadership driven. They tend to have a very like warrior feel to them. Um, They like fighting, um, you know, fighting for social justice, fighting for change, fighting for more equality. Um, But then also I see many of them get attracted into positions in military um, to use that same, you know, strategy and that sense of um, power that they would have used in past lives in Orion um, to use that again in this current present lifetime. There's no mistake in what we're drawn to during a lifetime. That's not usually the first time that you've done that before, that you have experienced that, or you've been drawn to something like that before. Um, They tend to enjoy cool climates, forests, um, you know, being in that same environment. All of that feels familiar to them, and so they're very drawn to that. And so I kind of think of most governments, I would say, especially Western governments, I'd be... um, not surprised to find a lot of Orion star seeds in those governments. I remember reading um, recently, or actually a few months ago, for an Orion fighter pilot. Um, the soul had been an Orion fighter pilot in past lives um, quite a few different times and um, experienced many of those different wars and was now on Earth um, fighting for climate change and really being a climate change advocate. And um, that was kind of how they had channeled that energy into this current lifetime. So yeah, Orion's very much with that warrior, ready to fight, ready to go to battle energy about them um, and tend to be more drawn to masculine energies, masculine incarnations, um, or kind of those tough girl incarnations, which I definitely resonate with. 
So we're going to move on to the Syrians, which are kind of the Orion's neighbors. The Syrians, I love Syrians. Um, Syrians tend to be very much a gateway planet, a gateway lifetime, a kind of a pit stop um, that everyone really enjoys. I don't know if there's like a city that you think of that you're like, I love going there. Like, I wouldn't want to move there, but I love going there and stopping by and visiting. You know, Syrians are kind of like that. So, so they come from Sirius. Um, so there is a main, I think it's a star planet. In, to my mind, they're all the same, but I know that astronomy would say they're different. Um, but they come from Sirius and they're Sirius A and then there's Sirius B and then there's like the main planet of Sirius um, or star. And um, so those planets were definitely had this like jungle feel to them, this rainforest feel. I had a few very brief incarnations uh, there. One that, you know, I like died as a young child. And I remember thinking as I died that like my life had been pointless, um, you know, in just kind of this very high level way of not fully understanding what that means um, or what the purpose of a life was. But um, it was very tribal, very, very tribal driven. Um, again, not with the big cities like we have here with all of the high technology. In fact, I would say I don't remember any technology in Sirius. Maybe there's a more recent soul from there um, that does remember that, but I don't remember any. I remember it's being extremely tribal, um, living in rainforests and jungles. There may have been forests, um, but I do not recall any similar to that. I remember it being kind of hot and humid there. Um, there are also many souls that recall um, when Sirius B was a water world. And from what I know and understand, it was at one point a very, very long time ago um, before becoming more viable for land life. Um, and so I've read from many souls that experienced Sirius B, um, a few that have experienced Sirius A and B. And um, it's really a gateway now. I mean, every year we have the Sirius portal that comes alive and they are of such great assistance. They're kind of like the, um, they're kind of like the friendly brother of Earth, I would say. Definitely a divine masculine planet, but in the higher vibration. So not with the very um, dark masculine energy like they had in Orion. Definitely a much more higher vibration, a lot more even keeled. Um, I would say that they polarized positively to the path of service to others. And um, I don't know if there is any, um, I would say they're probably somewhere in the fourth or fifth density now at this point, probably the fifth density. And um, I have met their social memory complex. I don't know if this is going to be them in the future compared to what our time is right now, but their social memory complex, so the collective consciousness of the entire planet itself or star, if you will, um, is Anubis. And so Anubis is a very real um, social memory complex. I mean, it's a group consciousness. When souls get to that point, they merge consciousnesses. And that happens in the late uh, fifth density, early fifth density, something like that. So they merge consciousness because you are no longer in a chemical body. You no longer see yourself as I. You start to see yourself as we. And merging consciousness is a way of to be of greater service to others. 
And um, so I would say that Syrians tend to be dog people. They tend to like dogs. Um, You know, Anubis is kind of a dog figure entity. And the Syrians created what you and I know as all the canines that exist on our planet. So that's wolves, that's dogs, that's, I don't know, coyotes, foxes, all of those were created by the Syrians and very much a representation of their artistry, of what was valuable and important to them. And when you think of a wolf pack, you really see that tribe, right? You see them living out in nature um, and valuing the tribe and protecting each other and working together for their survival and for their greater good. So I'm definitely a dog person. I love dogs. Um, and I think that, you know, kind of with the rise of social media, we've kind of seen how people are like dog people or cat people or some are both. And to me, it says a lot about their galactic history. As far as characteristics about Syrians, I would say that they are drawn to religions and mysticism and spirituality. They are very much aware that there is something greater out there, but then they're also just so easygoing and they're so like living their 3D life, but then like all of a sudden they'll be like, yeah, the aliens. And like when you're talking to a Syrian, they don't even question that. They're just like, yeah. And it's because their home is so close. It's like the neighbor, you know, um, very, very even keeled. They tend to be very kind people. Um, just, you know, kind of ordinary. Like I said, like that brother um, feel to them, that, uh, you know, neighborhood kid feel to them. And they definitely have been of assistance and of service to Earth. They have definitely sent a lot of their wisdom here um, that has to do with that tribe mentality and that, you know, staying together and doing what's good for the tribe and for your community and being of service to your community. That's really what's important to them. They're not like the Orions who are like, let's get into government and like make this huge overhaul change or like, let's fight for justice and be the warriors. They're they're not like that. They're much more even keeled, much more easy going. And um, definitely appreciate all of my Syrian friends. Love you guys. So now we're going to jump into the opposite of the Syrians, the Lyrans. The Lyrans are the amazing Lyrans are the oldest civilization in the Milky Way. They are the original inhabitants of the Milky Way, and they know it. (laughs) They definitely know it. I love the Lyrans. I just, they are like, like, I look up to them, and I'm just like, wow, you guys are so cool. You're so badass. Like, you survived so many different things, and yet there are no true Lyrans left. There are no, there are none. They have all ascended their consciousness um, so deeply. The, the true, true Lyrans that existed and lived on that planet through what we would consider their third density. Now, I have met a Lyran general, um, but she was an extremely young soul when she was experiencing um, existing with the Lyrans. And so, it's no surprise that she is actually here still having incarnations. So, you know, the 
the re- what we would call the real or true Lyrans or the pure Lyrans, the ones who existed in their third density of consciousness, those have all ascended into, you know, the fifth, sixth density. I would say they're probably maybe even in the seventh density to where they're angelic beings now. And um, so what we have now is mostly the very, very young souls that were there. So kind of like imagine if someone was a small child um they're like maybe under five years old and then you're meeting them as a grown-up and you're like oh you're the descendant of the so-and-sos you know and then we also have their energetic descendants and i'll talk about what that means as well so to create a soul that energy has to have gone through the first density which would be the elements. So it has to have existed in nature as an element and then also have gone through the second density, which is uh, microbial to animal life forms in order for that energy to be gathered up, uh, formed into a soul, given a personality, and then sent to have autonomous incarnations as a third density being. And those um, energetic descendants would have been in the first or second density on a Lyran planet. And then when they were ready to become a viable soul, they have that imprintation of the Lyrans still on them and it follows them forever. And they really resonate with all things Lyran and um, with that vibration because it's, it's an imprint. It's where they are technically from. And that will be so for any of the, um, you know, first and second density beings on planet Earth. They'll always have that Earth imprintation on their energy. So the Lyrans existed in, uh, I think of the star Vega is was one of their main planets um, before it became a star. And they were very much a like jungle. Um, there would have been cool altitudes and very, very warm to mild um, environments there, but it was very much like lush jungle, um, very, very different from here on Earth. Um, if you think of the movie Avatar, that is probably one of the best representations I've ever seen of the Lyrans. I know many Lyran descendants, Lyran energies, people who resonate with that have said that they have seen places like that in their past life regressions that was very similar to what was created in Avatar. So my guess is that I think I think that's made by James Cameron is that he is probably a Lyran descendant. And if all of that came from his imagination, then that is probably him just unknowingly regressing those memories and bringing them to life here. And um, what's really interesting about that is that the Lyrans are feline humanoids or were feline humanoids. And so all of the cats from the big cats that exist here, lions, tigers, panthers, pumas, down to the house cat, all of those cat um, beings, those feline beings were created by the Lyrans. And they were created by the Lyrans and given to us here on Earth as a gift, as an imprintation of them uh, to be of service to this planet, uh, to fill this planet with beings, of course, because those are needed. And they they resonate with the cat. And so whenever I meet someone who like has a lot of cat energy about them, I'm like, ooh, like, let me tap in here and see if they're a Lyran descendant. And they usually are. And they'll have a lot of that like feline energy. And um, they'll have this kind of like 
energy that's like very mystical about them and they tend to be drawn to water and to earth signs and to air signs and not so much fire signs I've noticed um, but definitely like water and earth signs the air in Lyra or whatever they called their planet at that time was very um, very humid and so there was a lot of like moisture in the air all the time and I don't know why that reminds me of like the water signs but they had these like very tall feline humanoid bodies and at some point they were different colors and eventually they actually became much more of what you and I would consider like a skin tone color or our skin tone color um, but not all beings in the universe are, are this skin tone color, <laughs> just so everyone knows, like, most of them are actually not. Um, so if you think that aliens look weird, they think that we look very weird. <laughs> so, yeah, and the Lyrans were, at one point, they were blue, just like they were in Avatar, and so, um, it's just such a trip to, to see that movie and to see how much of that, like, came through, for them. Um, but I would say, yeah, they are very much, um, very much drawn to higher planes of consciousness. Um, they definitely had a lot of very advanced technology, but then they had a lot of rituals, a lot of ceremonies. They knew how to use energy. They knew how to create with energy. They knew how to heal with energy. They knew, you know, how to exist really in this energetic field that humans have not even come close to, right? So we build big cities to make us feel safe. They would use their energy to make them feel safe, to win back battles, to win energy battles, win entire battles energetically. I mean, it's amazing. And they were definitely considered the biggest threat to the dark side in this galaxy. And that is why the Orions, the entities, I should say, in Orion that polarized to the dark side went directly to start a war with the Lyrans because the Lyrans were like, you're not going to fuck up our galaxy. <laughs> like, Get out of here, you know? And um, and they went into a terrible, terrible war with the dark side. I'm just going to say dark side. I don't want to get into all of the species that were involved with that, um, but that's definitely something you can read about through um, other, like, specifically only galactic channels. But, um, yeah, they went into this really terrible war, and one of their planets was completely destroyed, and um, it's just devastating. And so those, you know, descendants, those energetic descendants, many of them were relocated, many of them were just kind of adrift in the universe, and I shouldn't say the universe, in the galaxy. They were adrift, and nowhere was going to be Lyra. Nowhere was going to be at that energetic level, at that level of understanding, that level of oneness, that level of balance between the masculine and the feminine, of using energy to heal and to exist and being in that kind of community and environment. There is nowhere like that on in this galaxy right now. There's nowhere like that. And so many of them are kind of like here on Earth as humans, and it's really kind of like getting sent back to kindergarten for them. It's like having to hang out in the kids' corner because there's nowhere for them to go otherwise. And I would even say that most of them do not 
they don't end up becoming like spirituality teachers. They don't really end up doing anything like that. I would say if anything, they end up um, kind of going for professions like um, neuroscience, psychology, things that have to do with um, the advancement of humanity from an inner level. Um, I'm probably not saying that quite eloquently, but really from discovering like what is inside, what is within, how do we work and how can we actually, you know, advance ourselves to get back to that level that they're used to coming from, which is very, very high level, um, you know, would probably blow neuroscience out of the water and it would just enter into that energetic field. So I find a lot of Lyrans are not too interested in becoming, you know, spirituality teacher or anything like that. Like they know they understand that, but they're like, I experienced something so much more high level than this, so much deeper than this, um, and we could go there. And so they kind of find themselves in professions where they're trying to dig into that and to kind of find that core of understanding why we are the way that we are and how we can use exactly what we are energetically to advance ourselves. Something else that I've noticed about Lyran descendants are that they can be very much prone to anger and depression. Um, anger because, like, one, your home was destroyed and now you are adrift, um, but you are not entirely helpless. You're definitely not a refugee like many of the Orions are. You're not a young soul. You're an old soul who experienced something better and now you kind of have to make do with what is. And so they can be very prone to anger and very prone to depression as well. And so if you feel like you're a lyrant soul, I would say take care of yourself, do the things that make you feel good, pet your cat, <laughs> you know, explore this universe, this world, this planet that we're on uh, to the best that you can. And, and really it's like making the best of it. It will never be as good as it was um, for you at this moment in time, uh, but you're probably headed to a better place or to help these human souls into a better, a better place. All right, now we're going to jump into my other galactic family, <laughs> the Arcturians. I honestly don't even know how I ended up with the Arcturians. So I never experienced, you know, Lyra, all of that stuff was way before my soul even got to this universe. Um, I never experienced any of that, but I definitely hung out with the Arcturians, so I remember when I did my first galactic past life regression, I was like, oh god, like, where is it gonna be? What is it gonna be? Like, what am I? And it was like, the Arcturians! Um, I love, I have this, like, love-hate relationship with the Arcturians. Um, I love them because, one, they are obsessed with advancement. They are obsessed with merging science and art at a very, very high level. Um, they're obsessed with all things science, mathematical, sacred geometry comes from them. Uh, they love knowledge. They are the knowledge seekers and the knowledge keepers of our galaxy. They are constantly making advancements, creating new um, technology and um, just making, you know, things that seemingly out of thin air, but they merge art and science in a way that just blows your mind. I mean, every time I'm reading for an Arcturian, I'm like, oh my god, like, 
math. <laughs> Lots of math, um, which is so funny because I am so bad at math, but it makes a lot of sense because I was definitely not one of the super smart Arcturians. <laughs> I was a soldier. I was a Arcturian soldier. I was one of their genetically engineered soldiers. And this was a masculine incarnation for me, uh, not even remotely humanoid. I mean, sort of humanoid, but sort of definitely not. Um, I definitely miss having that extremely tall, I think it was like seven or eight feet tall body of this like super soldier that was genetically engineered. I didn't have a mom. There was no moms. There was only fathers for these beings, which was just such a trip. And um, it's just a place of really great advancement. There are some Arcturians still in this galaxy, and then there are some Arcturians that we communicate with who are actually from uh, what you and I would consider the future, uh, but what they consider a simultaneous moment in time that is in a deeper density of consciousness um, or a deeper dimension, if you will. And um, there's many channels who speak just to the Arcturians, um, they're very, very cut and dry, I would say. It's either science and art or nothing. And you would not think, because on our planet, science and art are totally separate. They're like, no, it's one and the same thing. Like, if, if it's scientific and it's mathematical, it's beautiful to them. And they love that. And they love discovery and creating. But I would say that kind of my beef with them is that there's not a lot of, like, heart and soul to them. There's not a lot of like mysticism. There isn't that like tribal feel like there is with the Syrians. There isn't that like really high level of energetic creation like there is with the Lyrans. There's not even really that like tough badass warrior that we have with the Orions. They're very much like, oh, you guys need a super soldier? Like, let me genetically modify and create one. Oh, that didn't work out. Okay, we're going to focus on something else. <laughs> like, like, they just totally abandoned the entire, like, energy war because their super soldiers all died. And they just moved on just to creating other things and to doing other things. And a lot of the information that they download to channels on our planet is, like, science, math, advancement, that kind of thing. Not really, like, how to assist the souls on this planet. At least that has been my experience. If you're a channel out there listening and you've had a totally different experience with the Arcturians, maybe I'm just talking to the wrong ones. <laughs> You know, so that's kind of my beef with them. Um, they had beautiful cities, like the most beautiful technologically advanced cities that you can ever dream or imagine of. Um, just totally out of like a sci-fi movie, but better than that. And um, money, money wasn't an issue there. And that was something I really had to channel into because on Earth, it's such a an issue here. You either have money or you don't. And if you don't, you're very poor, etc. Um, but they didn't have any like issues with money. Like everyone had more than enough money. Everyone there had like tons of money. Um, I don't know exactly how that worked, but I remember that being very interesting because they lean more towards the masculine and yet um, money tends to have that dark masculine energy of like greed and control. They didn't have any of that. So very, very interesting. Um, I do love the Arcturians. I just have my, my certain issues with them. I would say if you're an Arcturian on this planet, some of the traits 
would be um, being very um, either scientifically driven, being, I read for an Arcturian who was like a mathematician. Um, I read for an Arcturian who was an artist, but then also like, you know, they can be very obsessed with aesthetics, um, extremely artistic, appreciative of anything that's artistic, but then also has some sort of science or math or philosophy that has to do with it. Um, I would say you would find a lot of Arcturians in the tech world, in engineering, in anything that really has to do with that merging architecture, I would say. I would be shocked if all architects did not have some sort of experience with Arcturus. Um, oh my gosh, architects and Arcturus. <laughs> See, okay, so blending of that science and art together, that's where you're going to find the Arcturians, like, doing their thing and not really getting involved with all of the the light and the dark and the energy of the universe. They're just, like, so driven with what they're doing. And they're always looking for answers. They are obsessed with answers. I mean, and I find this in my own history too with them of being obsessed with the answer. And I think a lot of that is what led me down the rabbit hole of becoming a channel and wanting to know the secrets of the universe. And all of the Arcturians that I've read for were in some sort of job or place in their life where they were searching for answers and they are the seekers of this galaxy. So the last a uh, big galactic family that I want to talk about is my beautiful Pleiadians. I love, 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 love my Pleiadians. I hope I become a Pleiadian in the future because I've never been one. And then I'm also, of course, going to give a shout out to the lovely Andromedans who are so far from home. But first, the Pleiadians. Um, the Pleiadians are the main protectors of our planet. They make up the Council of Seven, the Council of Nine. If you have, you know, ever read like galactic channel or watch galactic channels on YouTube. There are so many people that just exclusively channel the Pleiadian Security Council, the Pleiadian Council of Light. Um, the Galactic Federation of Light is made up mostly of Pleiadians. And so they come from the Seven Sisters, the Pleiades. And the ones that are protecting our planet right now are actually not from this time. They are from what you and I would consider the future. So they're from a deeper density of consciousness. You and I exist in the third density. And while they are here presently watching over us, they are actually from the fourth density of consciousness and a little bit different dimension as well. I'm not sure exactly which dimension, but they are a divine feminine galactic family. They are extremely loving. Again, the fourth density is all about the heart chakra. So they're so loving. And one of the ways that they wanted to be of service to others was to watch over our little blue planet. And so they are, you know, mostly with the Galactic Federation of Light. You can read all about that online or on YouTube, etc. I don't work with them really. But that was one of my um, galactic activations when I heard that term for the first time Galactic Federation of Light, a little switch flipped in my mind and I realized, oh, I remember I'm not alone and I have actually been here before. <laughs> so I love the Pleiadians. The Pleiadians tend to be just very loving beings. Um, they tend I've read for many who have 
um, either had a lifetime as a Pleiadian, many, or who will be Pleiadians in the future. And in fact, I think I've read for more people who will be a Pleiadian in the future than any other galactic family before, because all of those beings are actually here. <laughs> so you're here. Um, it's kind of a mind trip because they're from the future and yet also looking out for you right now. And I find that they tend to be drawn to the divine feminine or working a lot on their divine feminine energy. They tend to be very like loving, but also very appreciative of like aesthetics, flowers, um, roses, specifically anything that has a very high vibration to it. You will find that in a Pleiadian's home. You will find um, anything that has to do with like the lighter colors, like rose quartz, um, clear quartz, amethyst. Those are all of the like stones and crystals that they're drawn to. And they're just like that person that you want to be around because they have this like warm, loving energy to them, or they're working on that energy and developing it during this lifetime. And they also have this innate desire to want to help others, to want to give advice to others, to be of service to others, looking for like that deeper and higher purpose. Because so many of them came like with a very specific mission of like, okay, you're going to go down there to earth and you're going to help them as they transition into fourth density and we're fourth density. So we really know this, like this is our like time to shine. And so they're here and they're like searching for that purpose. They're like, I know that I'm here for a greater purpose, a greater reason, and I'm ready to do it. I find that most of them are drawn to female incarnations and they tend to have this like sister vibe to them. Um, and that can be sometimes like the big sister or the little sister. And they just have this like sister vibe. This like you're like hanging out with your sister and like they want the best for you and they want to see you shine and they also want to shine. And they're very drawn to like the arts, um, singing, dancing, um, music really, really resonates with the Pleiadians. I think that their actual language is extremely musical all the Pleiadians that I've read for have had like some affinity for music. So that is the Pleiadians. I love them. They are just so current, so present, so in the now moment of like watching out for this planet that you can't help but just feel this connection to them. Like whenever you he whenever I hear the words like love and light or um, they're also called the bringers of the dawn and they always say whenever I'm channeling them, they always say like, we bring you the light of the glorious dawn. And I'm just like, oh, you guys are the best. You're just so nice. <laughs> You're so nice nice. So if you meet someone or know someone who has that very like open aura, loving energy, loves beauty and music and dance and singing and sisterhood, chances are you are talking to a Pleiadian. Okay, I also want to do a little shout out to the Andromedans as I wrap it up here. I love the Andromedans. They are so far from home. Uh, so Andromeda is the galaxy, the spiral galaxy next to the Milky Way. And when I say next to, it means it's not that close. It's pretty far. So they are definitely some of the travelers in our universe and so, so far from home. So many of them can feel like, where the hell am I? <laughs> 
you know, and Andromeda is an entire galaxy. There's so many different species and planets within their galaxy. But something that I find true with all Andromedans is that, one, whenever I meet their spirit guide, their spirit guide is always dressed in all white. White is very, very much a hallmark of an Andromedan. And they are always holding this like crystal globe in their hand and inside of the crystal globe is the spiral galaxy and that is how they communicate to me that they are from Andromeda. They don't speak to me the same way that spirit guides from the Milky Way talk to me. Um, It's almost as if they don't fully understand my language or how my brain works. Um, It very much comes through as like this energetic translation. It's very, very visual. I learned so much about how to be clairvoyant by understanding and translating the visuals that were downloaded to me whenever I'm talking to an Andromedan spirit guide. So uh, some other characteristics of the Andromedans, um, they love pastel colors. They have beautiful shining cities that seem like they're just made completely of crystal Um, whenever I get to, like, explore an Andromedan's memories, I'm just like, this is the most beautiful place. It looks like heaven. It actually looks like heaven. And they are in such a high loving vibration, such a good, um, balance of the masculine and feminine, and yet in such a high vibration. I find that they really resonate with peace, which is about 600 on the vibrational scale of emotions, uh, peace, definitely love, but like much, much higher than love, bliss even, and they really exist in that place. And since their, their galaxy is so cohesive and coherent, many of the souls have to travel out of Andromeda to go get more experience with the lower vibrations, with, you know, having some, you know, soul experience going through things because they're in just such a state of bliss there. And so the souls that I've read for have traveled so far from home and their spirit guides love them so much. Like you would not believe how much an Andromedan spirit guide loves them and all spirit guides love their people. But the Andromedans, there's like this missing, like I miss you so much. Um, You feel so far from me. And yet, um, you know, we always have that connection to our spirit guides. So it's this feeling of far from home um, and definitely like their child has like gone off to college in another state, I guess is how they probably feel. And so those souls come here when they're ready to have experiences and they really, really struggle with low vibrations all of the Andromedans, which they're actually very rare, um, but I have read for four of them, and they struggle with the low vibrations here. They want to be always in a high vibration. They're like, I'm a happy person. I want to be happy. I don't like these heavy, dense feelings. I don't like any of that weighing me down. I kind of want to get away from it. And so they can be kind of anxious or avoidant of those low vibrations, those low feelings. Their chakras tend to have a much lighter coloring to them than any chakras from this galaxy. They tend to not have that really vibrant color, but to instead be a very pastel color. And so they struggle with those low vibrations. And that's really how experiencing the low vibrations is how we deepen the colors of our chakras. 
And so that's like the reason that they're here. And yet they're like, I don't want to do it because it feels so icky, right? When your soul is used to a high vibration, having to go roll around in the mud and get dirty and like hang out with all of us Orion warriors probably feels a little off. But what I've seen with all of them is that they are extremely loving, they are very creative, they are very, very purpose-driven. They're like, I don't care if I'm a galactic soul or not, I know that I'm a human right now who's here for a purpose. And I have found that all of the Andromedans I've read for are like, this is what I'm doing with my life, this is what I want to do, this is the dream that I have, this is what I'm bringing into the world. Very, very dream-driven, and they have that purpose and they want to bring it to fruition however they can, but preferably for them in a high vibration. And um, yeah, they love pastel colors. They love soft things. They love beautiful things. They love crystals. Uh, I would say, you know, probably similar-ish to the Pleiadians, but definitely the Pleiadians have a very, um, they can be practical when they need to be and they can understand like, yeah, there's the dark side and we've been fighting them off. Whereas the Andromedans are like, what's the dark side? Like, get that thing away from me, (laughs) you know? Uh, But I just love them to death. They're the sweetest souls, again, so purposeful. And so if you feel like I'm here for a reason, I'm here for a mission, I do feel like a fish out of water, like I'm so far from home or wherever I came from or wherever I belong, you might be Andromedan. You might be from that very beautiful spiral galaxy. All right, souls, that was a lot of information about a very, very small amount of different species, different galactic families that exist in our universe. There are infinite number of galactic families, infinite number of species, infinite number of planets that are all in their own density on their own journey, and it's a very, very big universe out there. So I would encourage all of you to do your own research and see what resonates with you. Book a session with a channel, someone like myself or someone else that really resonates and that you trust uh, on that gut instinct level. Listen to your intuition. And if you want to find out more about where you are from, where you came from, why you chose Earth, some of your past lives, your galactic family... I offer something called Galactic Soul Sessions. It's an hour long of me channeling in your galactic family, everything from your spirit guides about where you've come from, where you've been, who you're related to um, out there in the stars and the universe. If you enjoyed this podcast, I highly recommend sharing it with a friend, giving it five stars on Spotify, or leaving a review on Apple Podcast. All of those little things tell the apps that you enjoy it and that someone else might too. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you all on the next one.